Hi, I'm Gracie Kim, the author of The Last Fallen Star, the first book in the Gifted Clans trilogy. It's a middle grade series inspired by Korean mythology about one adopted girl and her search for magic and belonging. It's available now from all good booksellers, including online on Amazon, as well as Wickles, Paper Plus, and of course, all our favorite local indies. My favorite episode from the NZSA podcast series is uh, Making It in the International Market, featuring Paula Morris, David Ling, and Tracy Farr. It was first released in 2018 as part of the uh, New Zealand Writers Forum. It was a panel there. And I loved this episode so much because it gives us a taste and an insight into the things that we might want to think about and consider as Kiwi writers uh, tackling all the various markets available to us for our work, whether that be New Zealand or Australia, UK or the US. I found it super interesting and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Of course, subscribe to the NZSA podcast to hear more revisited favourites this summer. Thank you all for coming along today. Are you all enjoying yourselves at the forum? It's been really good. It's quite intense though, isn't it? Obviously, I'm still exhausted after the high intellectual content of the debate last night. (laughs) Would you like me to rub your tummy? (laughs) If you went at the debate, that's fine, it's not Nikki. All right. Yes. <laughs> so kia ora, thank you for coming. Uh, I'm joined by David Ling, uh, New Zealand publisher, Tracy Farr, New Zealand writer, and we're going to just talk in a, in a formal way about um, our varying experiences getting New Zealand books out to the world and New Zealand writers out to the world some of the opportunities, some of the obstacles, how times have changed. Um, David has a a longer track record. I don't want to say he's old, but that's really what I'm saying. Um, He's got a longer track record than us. I am. (laughs) And also, um, we will have time for questions. So we're going to save about 15 to 20 minutes for questions so that we can really have this be a useful discussion for you. Because I think the point of the National Writers' Forum is to be really useful for writers and to be about concrete things, not just the nebulous. So it's clearly a forum full of very tardy people as well. I'm going to start naming them. <laughs> Joe Crebulate. <laughs> Rosetta Allen, don't think I didn't see you sneak in. <laughs> so we thought we would begin uh, just by each of us speaking quite briefly about ourselves and what it is we do and why we have been asked to come and sit here on this panel today um, to discuss this whole international issue. So Tracy, would you like to begin, please? Just give us a little bit of context about yourself and why you have um, a card in this game. Sure. Um, Kia ora tato. Um, I'm a, as Paul said, I'm a New Zealand writer. I'm also, if wearing a different hat, I'm also an Australian writer. Probably depends on the audience I'm talking to. So I've lived in New Zealand for 22 years now and I became a New Zealand resident last year. It took me 20 years. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> Thank you. Um, 
So my, and I also made a late start in the writing game. So this is just sort of laying, as, as you said, laying my various cards on the table and putting myself into context for you. So as well as being uh, moving around the place a little bit, I came to this writing, to this published writer stage of the game quite late. My first novel was published in 2013 when I was 51 years old. Um, it's The Life and the Life and Loves of Helena Gaunt, and it was published by Australian publisher Fremantle Press, um, published in Australia and New Zealand, so it's distributed by Penguin Random House. Um, and um, my second novel, The Hope Fault, was published by the same publisher last year. Both of those novels have been picked up for international publication. Um, the and there's a, a kind of, I guess if I've got a couple of minutes, I can tell the odd story of the pickup of those two books or the first of those, those books. Um, and it leads to something that I'm sure we'll talk about today, which is the role of serendipity in publishing in general, but in, in international publishing as well. I mean, there's only so much you can do that you have control over, and in the end, it, it, it comes down to serendipity. So um, my first novel, The Life and Loss of Lena Gaunt, was... Um, was picked up by Radio New Zealand for adaptation on their the, the, that wonderful session they have on nine to noon every weekday where they they sometimes do short stories. They'd done a bunch of my short stories, but they picked up my novel and they adapted it. Anna Rogers did an amazing adaptation for radio, and it was broadcast over three weeks in that little slot. And Meanwhile, on the other side of the world, a publisher did not sleep and he used to try and deal with his insomnia by listening to online radio and he would listen to Australian and New Zealand radio and if you were here at National Writers Forum in 2016, you may have heard Scott Pack, that British publisher, talking about the process of how he has come to publish quite a few... Uh, New Zealand writers, so myself included, um, Fiona Kidman, Damien Wilkins. And uh, anyway, Scott was listening online to RNZ and he heard an episode of my novel being read by Laurie Parry. And he, uh, he waited, he found the details of what this story was. He was able to go and buy the ebook online immediately and read it and loved it, contacted me and 12, 15 months down the track published me. They then published my, my second novel and, and we've gone on to work together on those. So that in a potted and slightly random way is my path to international publication. I'm also in a slightly different position to many of you because my uh, alignment and sort of connections with the Australian market, and I'm sure we'll talk about that as we go on, but in a nutshell um, that's how I connect to the, to the international market. Great, thank you Tracy. Now, David, you've been in the business since the 70s, and you've yeah. been selling books, titles overseas since the 70s. Would you talk a little bit about what you've done and how things have changed in that time? Okay. Um, I went straight from this university to a job in publishing in 1974. I first worked for Longman Paul and then moved to Heinemann and then Century Hutchinson, which became Random House, which became Penguin Random House. And I have always been on the editorial side and I had never sold a book when I got the job of going up to have our 
to promote our books to the Education Curriculum Office in Fiji, um, persuading them to prescribe our books rather than anybody else's, um, which was an enlightening experience. I learned a lot about how to recover money and make sure you got paid um, from booksellers who were very reluctant to do so. Um, and how to protect copyright when um, some booksellers decided they'd just photocopy off our books and sell them themselves. Um, I first went to um, went overseas, and I can talk about this later, um, to Bologna in 1985, and I went there. I've been there three times now, and um, I've been at Frankfurt since the 1980s, but David, I haven't would been you just, here for a while. Would you just tell people what the Bologna Book Fair is for, just because some people won't know? Okay, Bologna is the, it, it's the big international children's book fair um, held in a wonderful place, um, quite close to Venice. Um, it's a nice place to go for a day trip. Um, I went there with... Um, the um, companies from Heinemann, and I had um, spent, and this shows the example of how things have changed. I went and spent about a month over at their office in London and went with their people to the Bologna Fair. And it just, selling books there just seemed so easy. I had everything paid for, I had a stand, I had all the credibility attached to being part of them, and I had all their contacts that they had built up over 20 odd years or more. And it was really easy. I sold an entire reading series and picture books to New York and to Japan. When I set up my own children's imprint, Duck Creek Press, 25 years later, I went there, I had no stand, <laughs> only my own money, <laughs> no credibility and no contacts and it was just back to ground zero and that's how things have really changed um, but I've worked at it, I've been there again, I've been to Taipei and since um, in the last six years I now have just under 80 international rights deals across about 30 titles from everywhere from Taipei to Turkey to Israel US and the UK, um, with, as you say, a hell of a lot of serendipity and some really good luck. And maybe we could just talk about the whole book fair um, convention, just for the people who don't know. Uh, are some people here unsure about really what goes on at book fairs? Just a little show of hands. Okay, so some people do. So these book fairs, Frankfurt is the oldest in the world and it's still the biggest, is that yeah, right, David? Sure is. And the second biggest is Guadalajara in, in Mexico. Um, and publishers from all over the world use these as gathering points. London is another big one in the English-speaking world. Yes. Taipei now. Yeah. So um, publishers go, they exhibit, and they buy and sell rights. So they're really trade fairs. So you're often trying to sell books to other publishers, translation rights, is that correct? Yeah, I mean, one of the things I learned was more people are there trying to sell than are trying to buy. It is very, very difficult to get a foot in the door, which I found particularly at Bologna. Um, nobody was really very interested at all. Um, 
and a lot of them, I mean, European publishers really weren't quite sure where New Zealand was from. You're also up against companies that have been going there for a long time, and they have established relationships where they buy and sell from each other. You know, the Americans, the British, um, Europeans to America or to Britain, and then increasingly Asians, um, the Asian market, China particularly. So New Zealand publishers all go to Frankfurt every year. It's just about to happen. Are you going this year, David? No, I'm not. No. But there's always a New, T New Zealand contingent there. Taipei is now a big one that, that New Zealand has a presence at. Is that correct? Taipei has changed enormously, and I'm not sure if we're actually going next year. Okay. Um, a lot of that is because of um, a bit of door closing and conservatism by the mainland Chinese government. And in Frankfurt, as many of you know, in 2012, New Zealand was the guest of honour country. So there was a huge push to get German publishers to pick up New Zealand titles. And I think, who knows the stat? Is it 80 books? Malcolm, do you know the stat? Anyway, it was a lot. Malcolm works for Creative New Zealand, so he doesn't know very much, obviously. He just, yeah. You haven't got a mic, have you? Sorry. Yeah, was it like 80 to 100 books got picked up for translation sales? It was around that, I think. Yeah, and so a lot of writers went over as well, and we did a lot of events, went to festivals, uh, did interviews, did media, and my book, Rangatira, came out in German, which was really great. But Yeah, I mean, th I think that um, being guest of honour at Frankfurt really kicked off a lot for the New Zealand publishing and writing community. As you say, with a lot of people going over, there have been exchanges, people coming back in. And the same happened with Taipei, but that has cooled as a, as a fair. And Guadalajara is one that we're going to, as a publishing group, um, been there twice. And I think, I hope that's going to grow. Does it have a lasting effect? So that, that bounce in, in, uh, in, in pickup? after the 2012 Frankfurt, you know, 80 to 100 books. Does that last or does it need to be topped up every now and then? Does it need to be, I, I imagine it, there's, a, there's a, like a great extent to which it needs to be followed through and followed on with more and more and more? Yes, it does, because the following year somebody else is the guest of honour. Of course, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think it was Brazil, which is really sexy. You know? <laughs> Um, so that's sort of the, the really traditional publishing environment. So New Zealand publishers are looking to sell books overseas, but as David was saying and you were saying as well, I think, Tracy, um, and someone has said to me before, British publishers don't want to buy rights, they want to sell rights. They're not that interested. So it's not like it's this great, fantastic marketplace with a lot of free exchange going on. And I've also heard people say that the real deals are already done. It's really just about having a shop front there. And it's not really about the public, even though there are public days where people come in and just try to get free stuff. Um, so me included. Um, so that is the really traditional publishing model. Now, as we all know, this doesn't really work for many of us here in New Zealand because we are a minor English language literature. If you look at things in the colonial terms of English language publishing, where are the centres of English language publishing? Which cities? London? New York. New York. They're the centres. We are very far from that centre. 
the, uh, their first commitment is to selling books in their own market. The London publishers are buying to sell in Britain. The New York publishers are buying to sell in the US. So they're not looking to be philanthropic organizations for the English language writing world. They're not saying, we must have a glorious spread of voices from across the English language world, plus a lot in translation as well. They're not thinking that at all. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. The um, Neroli Weir, who's the Rice Director for Penguin Random House in Australia, talked about trying to sell to the British even within the own company. There's a sort of a pushback and there's still that um, we don't buy from the colonies for heaven's sake, we sell to them. And um, when I was working with multinational groups and attended conferences in the UK, you could see that they, with all their print runs, they had already earmarked certain quantities for us to have to take out here. And to buy from us was just a foreign concept. I mean, this is in the 1980s. Um, except, and, and then you will get the tiny exceptions, but they are tiny and they are tiny numbers. So for example, and. I'm, I'm talking from my own perspe perspective because that's the perspective that I come to this session, that, sorry, that's the perspective that I come to this session with I don't have a good overview, I can just come with my own experience. So the publisher that picked up my books, the, the, the UK publisher that picked up my books has, was, was a small, tiny, independent imprint that was set up with the express purpose of looking for books written in English from around the world that hadn't had uh, that hadn't found a place in in British publishing, and they publish in the UK and in the US. So they've gone out with the express with the express um, uh, focus of finding those books. And in fact, Scott Pack is going to about to publish uh, Sarah Lang's graphic memoir, Mansfield and Me. It's it came out a couple of months ago, Great, and he's about to publish Catherine Chidgey's The Beat of the Pendulum. He just announced that mm -hmm. a few days ago. So it's interesting how times have changed because, I mean, Tracy's experience alone shows how important the internet is. Now, if those, if those shows had not been available online, there would have been no way that a British publisher would have heard about you. No. So these old methods we have, we sign with a publisher here, we, they, we, they go off to trade fairs with their bags of goods, they come back feeling a bit sad, and on it goes. Um, that model is not necessarily the only model anymore. Now it still happens, obviously. It still does, yeah. And we know that our children's authors often have great success at Bologna. Uh, do we not... We just have someone from One Tree here. So weren't you given a big honour at Bologna last year? So this is a local children's publisher that was recognised at Bologna and, and awarded, and that, that's a big deal. So these, they are important to for us to be represented at, but as writers, we are probably going to have to be a lot more cunning and a lot more imaginative with how we publish our books, how we sell our books. Now, one thing someone has said to me, a New Zealand writer, she said, why do we care so much about international sales? Yeah, when we get down to it, New Zealand has four million people. That's slightly less than Melbourne has. Right? Um, Auckland is about the size of Birmingham in the UK. That's, that's, that's yeah. what we're looking at. If we sell a thousand copies of something here, we're pretty happy with that. 
Anita, oh, I said, Anita's here? No, she's somewhere else. Oh, Anita's here. Anita said, I don't want to be mean. I'm going to quote you on this. She said, if I thought I could only sell a thousand copies of my book, I'd do something else. But she was joking. <laughs> um, but the numbers are small here, unless you're selling a cookbook. There are alternative ways of doing things. So for some people, that starts right at the publishing point, doesn't it? It's not, you're not waiting to be published by a conventional publisher and see what happens. You're going to go the independent publishing or self-publishing route and deal directly with Amazon. Now, I believe Lani Went Young talked about that yesterday, didn't she? And if I saw the end of her keynote address. It was very moving. But for many writers, you have to think, what is going to work for me and the book I'm writing? If you are writing a thriller, or you're writing a romance novel, you're writing something, maybe it's yeah, a fantasy novel, say, maybe the traditional path is not for you. Maybe with some imagination and hard work, you can find a different route to publication. Do you have any thoughts about this, David? Um, one of the problems I've always thought with e-books is the problem of discoverability. You're in a vast bookshop, um, and how does anybody know that you're there? Um, but I don't really have any experience with self-publishing. Okay, Tracy, do you have any comments? <clears throat> not really, but I found it interesting um, because I, 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 that's not my area of expertise or focus, but I found it interesting in the session before lunch, Vicky Marston was talking about the fact that um, with so the sorts of successes that, um, that, that uh, people who have gone the self-publishing route have, have had, that mainstream publishers are starting to look differently at people who have self-published, so whether they're picking up those, those previously self-published books or whether they're just saying, we can see that that person has self-published and we can see the, um, the successes that they've had and the fact that they're very self-motivated. We'd love to see their next book. So agents and publishers are starting to look very differently at that process. But uh, yeah, I don't, I'm afraid I don't really have any kind of wisdom about, about the self-publishing process. Um, because you've already established an audience as well. Yeah. You can say, I've sold X copies either in print or as an yeah. e-book and you know that that's something to build off. Now, you have to think as well for you as writers, what's going to work for you? Are you the kind of person who can commit to the costs and involved in self-publishing, which means includes design and editing and getting a really great product together, and then all the, the dealing with the business end of things? And some people are really good at that and really know how to work it. Other people, not so much. So, so Just what do you think? One thing I would say, that where we sell rights to the... Traditionally, our books are not available on Amazon because we don't warehouse in, us, in the US. Um, but of course, where we sell the rights to the US, then our books are available from those publishers through Amazon. And Amazon, of course, moved into Australia. And I'm not completely up to date with what is going on, but I think there will be implications for stockholding of New Zealand published books um, through Amazon that are warehoused in New Zealand. I think that's possible. I mean, that's part of our quite complex ecosystem, isn't it? Because what's bad for a New Zealand bookseller might end up being good for a New Zealand writer. So our, our traditional notions of we want to be published by a New Zealand publisher, sold in New Zealand bookstores, we tell people, don't buy things online, buy them in a bookstore. 
that's fine and has integrity to it, but for other people who say, well, I've only been able to publish through Amazon and now them coming to Australia is fantastic news. And for those of us in the room whose books sit in warehouses in Australia right now, I publish at Penguin Random House, that's where our books are held. Mm -hmm. Try getting books in a hurry, it's a, it's a big problem, but they're there in Australia. So is this going to be a new model that works for us? Now I know some of you in the room are probably on the publishing side of things, and David you should close your ears for this, but as writers I think we always have to remember we have different priorities from publishers. We're in it for the long game, are we not? And we have to be quite selfish because it's our lives, our livings, our work, and often we're thinking about the bigger picture for us, which is not necessarily in the interest of our local publishers. I know this is terrible heresy. Actually, my <laughs> given my long history, I'm here for the long haul. Um, and I'm here for me and my authors, of course. I, know, know, I share the same issues. But a lot of our publishers are having to make budgets and report to Australian overlords. I know. I know. And you know, yeah, they need know. to make their numbers or they lose their jobs. So for them, their priorities are quite different from those of us who were just thinking about writing and knowing that people might not buy our books while we're alive. Okay? And because if you want fame and glory, you're kind of in the wrong room. Um, but can we talk about some other elements as well of the international game? Because as writers, I feel really strongly that if you want to make connections overseas and not just to sell things but to nourish you as a writer, to do research, to have conversations, to open up new ways of thinking. If you're a Maori writer, you want to know who the Aboriginal writers are in Australia and who are the First Nations people in North America and maybe you want to be in conversation with them. So what can you do to make international trade routes for yourself that aren't simply about, you know, selling something. Uh, Tracy, do you have feelings about this? Yeah, I have feelings about this. Um, I think it's important and there's only so much that we can do online and I think all of us all of us know the importance, whether we like it or not, of an of an online presence and a and a personal brand and all of those things. And and, and that's and that's great and that goes a long way and we can make great connections with other writers, with readers, with with um, with uh, the whole ecosystem of books um, through those online connections. But there's nothing like being in the room with someone, uh, being in the bookstore with booksellers and readers, um, being, in, being in the place that you want to write about. So all of those sorts of things. So, uh, so writers' festivals are invaluable. Um, they're not junkets. I'm sure they can be junkets, but they're hard work and they but they get you they don't just connect you with readers, they connect you with other writers, they connect you with publishers, they connect you connect you with publicists. That whole kind of that that whole kind of connection, that whole kind of face to face in the in the van from the airport to the hotel, those connections that that I know I've made over the years in, in that way have been have been really nourishing and valuable, and they've led to little things. So it's again, it's that serendipity thing. So. I was going to say also that the uh, I mean a lot of that happened through Frankfurt, but also through to part Taipei when we were guest of honour. Um, but the fellowships for more experienced writers, are of course. Um, have a have a part to play there as well. Yeah, 
I mean, just to talk about a few concrete things. So, you know, I'm involved with the Academy of New Zealand Literature, set up to be a platform for our mid-career and senior writers to to basically have a community amongst ourselves. We have a shop front, which is the website, where you get a lot of in-depth information, features, interviews, but our backroom work is the crucial stuff. So for example, um, we make e-books, e-samplers. Um, we make an e-sampler, we ask our members who would like to be in it, do a double page spread. So Paul Cleave's an example, he gets invited quite often. Picture of Paul Cleave looking handsome. Um, some information about what he can talk about at international festivals, how he can be programmed, links to him appearing online so festival directors can look at him and see how he performs, when he's available, information on books. Uh, we've done three of these now, no two, we've got send them out to 250 festival directors worldwide. As a result, Catherine Chidji and I were sent to South Africa last year to the Durban Festival, incredible. This week on Monday, if my passport arrives back from the Indian High Commission, um, uh, I'm going with Paul Cleave, though he's not my boyfriend, I've told everyone, I'm making that clear. Um, we are going to uh, a Pune Literary Festival outside Mumbai. They have never invited New Zealand writers before. Durban had never invited New Zealand writers before. So for a couple of thousand dollars with these e-books and quite a lot of work, we're able to go directly to festival directors. Now, they don't mind that your book is not available in their market. South Africa says, turn up with a suitcase of books, we'll sell them there. Meanwhile, we're hearing South African writers who we've never heard before because they're not published in London, therefore we don't get them here in New Zealand. So it is a real chance to what we talk about sometimes at the university about talking sideways. We get to talk sideways across countries. How often do the All Blacks fly to South Africa or Argentina? Why can't they put some writers in the plane with them? <laughs> you know? Like, and one thing we've talked about is doing a little sampler in Spanish that goes to Argentinian bookstores when the All Blacks are on tour. And we're talking about one for the Japanese World Cup. Second example, Guadalajara Book Fair. Got some work translated really quickly by some colleagues in Spanish, put together a Spanish book to be handed out at the stand at Guadalajara. So because they get a lot of members of the public there. Now you never know what will come from it. Because if one thing comes from it, if one person says, I'd like to translate this book and sell it in, in my country, if one person is interested and thinks I'd like to have a writer at a festival, it opens a window. Um, third example, Oceania exhibition. Some of you have heard of this. It's going to start at the Royal Academy quite soon. Big exhibition of Maori and Pacific art and Creative New Zealand's taking a number of contemporary artists out. Um, they're also taking five of us out, Maori and Pacific writers to go and do events in London um, around the Oceania exhibition. So at the Academy we created a little French translated book of Marine Pacifica writers that will go ahead, it was supposed to be ready for Frankfurt, good luck, um, that will go to French publishers and media in advance of the exhibition being there. So how can you be imaginative and try to work the angles and see how can we get ourselves these international platforms rather than sitting here waiting for someone in London to notice us because Tracy's experience is unusual but I mean it is part about being out there getting your work out there but what can you do? David do you? 
Well, this is, this is where book fairs, um, and I don't know what the opportunities are for self-publishing at book fairs, so there were quite a few self-published books at the Frankfurt when, when it was guest of honour. I think the Society of Authors did have okay. a stand there. Um, the, just by being at the book fairs, and I, I take on board 100% the nourishment to publishers and authors and illustrators and whatever to go. I mean, being at, being at Bologna, um, the illustration work, the books there, is just absolutely mind-blowing, and Frankfurt as well. And this is where serendipity and luck come into it. Um, that you can find just by being somewhere. When I the first time I went to Taipei, um, there was a cocktail party hosted by the New Zealand Trade Commission, and I was chatting with a Taiwanese publisher, and he was very interested in World War One history, and this was a year before the hundredth anniversary. And as an aside, he educated me to the fact that. 200,000 Chinese went to the Western Front. We only had 100,000 in all fronts. They were dragged over by the British to dig trenches and pull bodies out and drive trucks. Um, they were non-combatant. But he was fascinated by this, and by the end of the fair, I had sold him a book on Passchendaele, and I had sold him Shadbolt's Voices of Gallipoli. Um, I have since sold him Season of the Jew, and I've been up there and given talks on World War I, on Shadbolt and Tukorti, and when we were the country of honour, he and I and Witty gave a talk about World War I, including the um, Maori resistance to it. Um, and it was just by meeting somebody at a cocktail party, and I could easily just talk to the person next to him and missed out. So hang on, the message from David is that you must go to many events involving alcohol. <laughs> That's a key message. I thought you ought to write it down. Um, I was going slightly veering back towards you, towards what you were talking about before, Paula, which is the, which are were some of the um, some of the endeavours of the Academy of New Zealand Literature, and it got me thinking about the sort of the two paths that we need to follow as writers. It's those. It's it's the it's the sitting in the writer's studio writing the book, you know, hand over the page so no one can see what you're doing, you know, head head in your own space kind of kind of endeavour. But then there's that connectivity and that connecting with peers and that being a part of a community and hooking into what that community can deliver because, you know, together we're stronger kind of a thing. I mean, the individual, the, the, the individual writers who are benefiting from the work of the Academy, you know, that couldn't happen without the Academy and all of the work that you, that the Academy does. So it's, it, it, it's um, as a writer, it's kind of keeping all of the keeping both of those those flows uh, under control and keeping them both keeping keeping them both flowing I suppose and I think because in New Zealand we can it's quite easy to find, feel isolated and to feel like traveling overseas is really expensive and difficult but often I find we don't apply for things that we should be applying for and getting ourselves out there for example I have the, the um, uh, a fellowship at Bellagio in Italy in Lake Como it's really good. <laughs> it's really, really good. The Rockefeller Foundation paid for me. They paid everything. 
they paid us so much money we bought a lot of scarves. <laughs> so my advice to you always is do the research online. Think where do I need to go to do research? Where do I want to go for a residency? And worry about money later. But be realistic, okay? If you want to go to Bellagio, you're going to have to have a substantial publishing history behind you, and you're probably going to need to find some academic to give you a reference. But if that's possible, do it. There's lots of um, residencies in Australia. What can you be applying for? Who else will you meet there? Just little things. I mean, one of our members of the academy um, has been to Yado, the, the very prestigious writing residency in up in New York State, and she said, look, if anyone else is thinking of applying, I can help them. I'm, you know, I've been there, I can help them with their, with their application, I can maybe put in a good word for them. So it's a way of us as writers coming together as a community saying, how can we help each other? But what do you need as a writer? What, I mean, what would help you? Does it have an international dimension? Does it simply mean you want to be put in contact with someone in another place? to talk across countries. We had that conversation feature, the Cordial feature on the Academy website. I mean, Fiona Farrell writing about Christchurch from a fiction and non-fiction point of view about the earthquake. What if we could put her in touch with a Japanese writer who's addressing similar issues there? Maybe it's that connection that can be useful. I also really encourage any of you, if you're going on holiday anywhere, anywhere, to think, Okay, let's do some research around this. Uh, is there, so when I was going to Brussels to do research for my book, I typed in post-colonial literature Brussels, came up with a name teaching at a university, got in touch with her. Not only was she really helpful for my book, I bled her brain dry, but she also then invited me back. They brought in copies of Rangatira for the students. I gave several classes and talks you establish some connections. So what could work for you, your book, who you are, what you can share with people, what you can give. If you're going, if you're going to Samoa on vacation, on holiday, can you take books and school supplies with you? Can you offer to teach a writing workshop? What can we do? What can we take with us? And then how can we find the nourishment we need as writers? I think that's really important to think of us as writers in an international sense and not just in a, a sad and greedy New Zealand one. Mm. Not to be glib, but... Um, Tracy, what, what have you done? Have you been to some of the Australian festivals? Yeah, the first, um, the first Writers' Festival I was invited to after the publication of my first book was the Perth Writers' Festival. And, and that was partly because of my connections. So my, I grew up in Perth and my publisher is based in Perth. So there was, there was a connection there and there was an interest there. Um, I've, uh, I've been to a number of Perth Writers' Festivals. Sometimes when I'm back there, I'll say, I'm going to be back because I'm visiting family. Can you, can, you, can you place me? So there's that connection. Um, and I've been to Mildura Writers' Festival as well. Um, just, just to say that, just because Australia's our neighbour doesn't mean that they're very interested in New Zealand writers either. I have to say, I've never been invited to an Australian yeah. festival, yeah. but I've been invited to loads of other places around the world. So don't, you can never imagine that things are automatically going to happen, don't you think? In the book world, in the publishing world, you can never think, I've done all this, so it's all going to work out for me. 
but sometimes you do have to do something for yourself. There's a real, there's a real, uh, there's a real sense that Australian um, Australian bookstores and Australian readers and Australian writers festivals are not actually particularly interested in New Zealand writing and, I, and, and New Zealand writers. And I think ac across the board, if you had to average things, I think that's probably true. So I think as New Zealand writers, we do need to fight to to get ourselves under the noses and into the, under the eyeballs of us, of Australian readers. It's true. It's our nearest neighbour, but it's a really hard it's a really hard market to get into for New Zealand um, for New Zealand writers. And yeah, I, I wear two hats. You know, I take that, that's been my experience ever since 1974. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Australians, let's open it up to questions. Or can we have questions, not comments? That would be really good. Is there a mic? Otherwise, just say it loud and I'll repeat it. If someone has a, a question or something they'd like us to discuss, third row. Did anyone hear the question? Is that how, if you think your book's got international potential, what should you seek in a New Zealand publisher? Yeah. Um, I think th there aren't many international publishers left here. Um, and those that are, are often reluctant to just be a channeling to stuff overseas. Um, unless they're taking it on here and trying to sell it overseas. If, and if, it depends very much, as you say, on a book-by-book -book basis. If the, if the book is principally aimed at an overseas market, then that's where you should be heading first off, either through an agent or... Um, which generally is the way you have to do it over there, overseas, more, far more so than here. Just because you publish with a, a multinational company here does not mean they have any ability to sell your book overseas. So often with my master's students, if they're writing a book that's set somewhere else entirely, I don't even know why they need to go to a New Zealand publisher first. Now again, this is heresy, and some New Zealand publishers will be really cross with me, and someone has said to me once, well, you're undermining the New Zealand publishing industry. I try to undermine as much as possible, obviously no, but, um, but you have to think as a writer, what's the best thing for you? If, um, and now Rosetta Allen's here. Now Rosetta's written a book that's going to be published by Penguin Random House next year. It's set in Russia and Kazakhstan. It's a fantastic book. Does it have a title? The Unreliable People. The Unreliable People? Yes. That's a terrible title. <laughs> it's not one I approve of. Um, but Rosetta's got a relationship with Penguin, they're publishing it, but another recent MCW grad, Rachel O'Connor, has written a book set in Salonika in Greece on the eve of, of World War One. Uh, she's found herself an agent in Britain for it that seems to make much more sense for her. So I do think as writers you have to be selfish and pragmatic mm. and not always patriotic. Really, this will go down very badly in some circles, I know. I've got a couple of comments about specificity, and they, but they're not backed up by anything really other than my own hunches and my own kind of preferences. They're backed up by one thing. But um, I, have a, I have a theory that the more specific you are about place, the more you embed something and, and, and you've got the scents and the smells and the everything and the real, the grains of sand in it, somehow the, it, it magically becomes more universal. I've just got this sense of that. But the thing that I can give you that's a bit of a fact, I suppose, that's on the idea of specificity is, is about the oddness and the unpredictability of specificity. And it's kind of what you said, David, I think, in, in one part of what you said, which is that you can't second guess it. And it's to think about Stephen Daisley, okay? So a New Zealand writer who's been living in Australia for a long time. And two absolutely 
cracker novels that he has has published. So his first novel, Traitor, um, was is such a New Zealand novel. It's just it drips with New Zealandness. And it did brilliantly in Australia, and it did nothing in New Zealand. So it won the Prime Minister's um, Literary Award in Australia when it was released in the early 2010s, or about 2010. But Coming Rain, his second novel, which won the Ockham New Zealand Book Awards in 2015. Yeah, uh, the Acorn, Acorn Foundation, Foundation Prize, 50 grand. Fiction Foundation Prize, the first one. Um, it's, it's very Australian. It's particularly, it's Western Australian. It's such a Western Australian book. That's where he's based. And it did almost nothing in Australia. It didn't really do almost nothing, but but comparatively it did almost nothing. So he could, and I've talked to him about that, and you could never predict that. You could never second guess that. You could never plan that. So I think the, the extent, sorry, the extent to which being true to the book, writing what you're going to write, um, just just how in there. Can I just say I really hate books that are not set anywhere in particular. Yeah. I hate Same. them. Same. I absolutely hate them. And New Zealanders who are like, well, it's sort of set in Auckland, but I'm trying to pretend it's America. It's like either set it in America and take on everything that that entails, including writing an American idiom, or write it in New Zealand. But don't think you're just going to write this blurry crap. I hate it. Uh, oh, look, I agree with that entirely. And one book in my experience is of course something like Season of the Jew which is totally embedded in New Zealand history and culture which is um, was on the New York Times one of the best ten books of the year they accepted it over there in the UK Australia it's been translated into German in German and recently I sold it to China um, and another thing actually just as an aside from a publisher's point of view when you're trying to sell books overseas what might be old backlist to you is something that they've never seen before. Um, and if it's really, really good, um, and I actually sold Shed Bolts, um, The New Zealanders to China, which was published in 1959. <laughs> <laughs> David is obviously without scruples. He's a publisher. Um, <laughs> just a couple of little things I'd say to you. Write the book you want to write, whatever it is, and then publish and be damned. Know that you have to take the consequences. If you want to write an airport novel with all American characters, write that book. But then don't grizzle that you're not shortlisted for the Ockham New Zealand Book Awards, right? You just you write the book you want to write, then you think, okay, it's an airport novel with a Jack Reacher-like character, so I'm going to have to find an American agent for this. Go along that path. But if you want to write a book that's really embedded in New Zealand and really particular, write that book and do it in a wholehearted way. What is the book that you want to write? What is that? And then do it to the best of your ability. But don't think you can straddle all these worlds and be nebulous so that somehow it will get you something. Yeah. And are you writing a book because you want to write a book or are you writing a book because you want to have sold a book? What is the most important thing? What's the book you want to write? The book of mine that's, that was published in German and got reviews all over Germany, huge media attention, is Rangatira, which is my most Maori book. And in fact, we had to put a glossary in for the Germans. But they were, there's no German Maori dictionary, so we had a long time of discussion about that. But that is the most Maori book I've written, and the Germans wanted it. So who knows? Is there, is there an extent to which I, I sometimes see Australian books doing well overseas, which are very Australian, so books which are sort of the, the, the whole, the outback romance. 
outback romance is quite a different thing to outdoor romance too. That sounds a bit rude, oh, outdoor no, romance, does, isn't it? But, but that Dogging. Is, is it a generality, do you think, that, that, that there is an extent to which um, uh, um, the, the more, the more Māori, the more New Zealand book might actually have a bigger market overseas because it's seen as... No, Tracy, no, no, no. 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 Yeah. Everything is hard, all right? So. Everything is hard. To, I mean, I've, yeah. I've got my YA novels that are set in America with American characters. I've sold nearly 400,000 of them. Right. But, and I've got an agent in New York. He cannot sell any of my New Zealand books. That's okay. That's fine with me. If I just wanted to make money, I would just write YA set in America, but that's not what I want to write. I wanted to write Rangatirai. I'm very proud of that book. When I die, which could be any minute now, um, because of my bad lifestyle choices, I think Rangatira will be a book that will still be read and still be important to some people. So why do you want to write? Anita Heiss was talking yesterday about your purpose. What's your passion? But then don't expect that you can have everything, you know? You can't be Dan Brown and win the Nobel Prize. That's really clear. <laughs> so, you know? And which... The, and also understand as well, and please, this is, this is... I know we have to go to more questions, but stop caring about what international judges think about our books. Care about what New Zealanders think. Look at our Ockham New Zealand Book Awards. What I mean, you might disagree with them. I'm, I invite the judges and I'm always disagreeing with them. But why do we have to wait for a book that has been published in London as suitable for the British market, then get shortlisted for a UK award, and then we're interested in it? It's, it's we're enacting colonialism right there. It's not an even playing ground. The, any given year, a New Zealand novel may not be published in the UK. So let's not wait for them to pat us on the head. Let's be sneaky and find our own ways. Do we have any more questions, by the way? We still have time. Yes. So the question is, if you want to self-publish, it's non-fiction, what's the best way to get translated? That's a whole heap of stuff, though, isn't it? Mm. Okay, so the first step is you want to self-publish a book. So how are you going to go about doing that? Who's going to be your partner in this? How are you going to sell it? Is it going to be print and e-book? And then how, what are you going to do around it? Are you going to have a website and a social media presence so you can really actively pitch for translation rights? It's, it's a job that publishers do full time. So if you're thinking, I, I'm writing this book, what are all the different steps you need to take to get to a goal? But there's no simple kisses there, which there was. You know, here's how to achieve world domination, three steps. This is why publishers exist and agents exist. They spend their whole lives working on this. It's a huge amount of work. So you just have to think, okay, I'm going to work with Amazon. What are the rules and guidelines? How can I make a really attractive product to sell? How can I market it to the correct audience? So what are the, the groups I need to target? Do I need to do mailings? You know, what do I need to do to do that? And then think translation rights will follow if you, if you have some luck and a lot of marketing. And I guess another aspect is to, and, and this goes across the board, I suppose, and perhaps it's more with mainstream publishing than self-publishing, but I, I guess it's applicable, is knowing where your, what rights are available and where your rights sit and kind of keeping track, or whether that's mental track or, or, or paperwork track of, um, 
of uh, when things run out, when things need to be renewed. If you get, if you field an approach from someone who says, "I would love to translate your book to Bulgarian," so that you, the writer, because you've got a website and you're the you're the main presence and the the sort of the online presence, you know where to direct them to. Whether it's your agent, whether you have the rights, whether your publisher has the rights, or whether those Bulgarian rights belong to your UK publisher because they got on sold. So having a real sort of business head on your shoulders as well about about the whole environment of the rights because there are a lot of different rights and they all have different. And also there's piracy. So yeah. I discovered my book. Ruined was available in Vietnamese. Yeah. It was published in Vietnam, but no permission had been asked. That's why you have agents often to do that, that kind of work for you. So you just also have to decide as writers, how much do I want to be a business person and how much do I want to be a writer? And then, you know, what expenses are involved? Do I have to hire people to do things for me? And if you are choosing an overseas publisher or working with one, it does. You, it's not easy, but you do really have to check them out. Um. Yes. And we have time for a last question, just there, maybe. maybe Following on from that, how do you know who to trust when you're negotiating with international companies? How can you vet them? Mm. <laughs> um, is this a separate session? <laughs> um, China is the one that's been difficult and I've put a lot of effort into that. Um, when I was at Bologna, probably like you, you were approached by a lot of Chinese pub publishers. Again, a bit of luck. I'm good friends with a, become good friends with a, giant, with a publisher from Beijing and he has provided me with lots of contacts and um, I've got all the books into very reliable university presses or very good, reliable commercial publishers over there. Um, the agents in China are tricky. You find one guy got caught selling the same book to three different publishers in three different parts of China, which he obviously wasn't meant to do. It is, it is very hard. But this is one example why you might think, oh, self-publishing is the route for me, but actually you might need the expertise of someone who is working in international markets and has a lot of contacts. And I mean, Kevin Chapman's another example of a publisher who's very active and, uh, through Upstart Press with international contacts. So maybe to go back to the earlier question, maybe those are the publishers you need to be seeking out. And ask yourself, are you only self-publishing because you've kind of just dashed something off and want to get it out quickly? Have you really exhausted all your options? Or maybe it's the best thing for you. Maybe it's absolutely the best thing for you and your book, but what are the different steps you need to take? Okay, so thank you very much to David Ling and to Tracy Farr for joining us today. Thank you all very much for your attention. Thank you. New Zealand Society of Authors, Tipune Kaituhi o Aotearoa, Pen NZ Incorporated, is the principal organisation representing writers in New Zealand. We want to continue to provide opportunities for you to grow in your professional development. That's why we've started NZSA Web Workshops. Visit our website, authors.org.nz, to find out about these opportunities. Experienced writers and teachers will lead them 
and we hope that they help you to grow as a writer and face whatever tomorrow brings. Our website again is authors.org.nz.